0: Welcome to episode 74 of Eat Sleep Run Repeat, the running podcast for the average runner. This week's guest is the fastest Australian marathoner on Australian soil, Mr. Liam Adams. We had a really good chat, really good conversation. He explains how he's had no funding, no shoe deal, basically gets no help from anyone. It's... uh, It's a really good conversation. At at times, it's controversial. He really doesn't hold back. He just speaks his mind. You can't help but like the guy, and you can't help but respect him because he just gets out there against all odds, puts himself in the mix, and goes for it. So strap yourself in, team, and enjoy this one with Mr. Liam Adams. (laughs)
1: So I leave for your troubles. I Welcome to the show.
0: One of the best marathoners Australia has ever produced, Liam Adams.
2: Well, thanks for having me, guys. I don't know about best marathoners, but yeah, oh, mate,
0: definitely, definitely are. Um, you're a bit of a hero of mine. I'm a tradie. You're a tradie. You run in the uh, high vis singlet. Yeah, yep. uh, mate. Do you have? You must have to wear some nipple tape when you wear that singlet.
2: Uh, surprisingly, um, I don't, I've actually got the nipple chafe once or twice before, but, uh, I haven't got it in the, uh, oh, I think maybe once in the tradie singlet, but I, I kind of vas up, use the Vaseline and yeah, uh, yeah so I've learned from that mistake. <laughs> oh,
3: those,
0: those tradie high vis singlets are really rough usually, eh? Yeah, I, I they're pretty see, thick. Yeah. I see you wearing that idea. and think, God, oh, he must have some tape over his nipples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, it's just uh, me, Wooly, and Wax at the moment. Nathan, I think, will be jumping in. But yeah, we're just um really stoked to have, uh, have you on, Liam. You're like a superstar of Australian running. And uh, yeah, stoked that you've jumped in and joined us. Uh, good to join you, boys, yeah. Well, I'd like to hear about sort of your... Like, how did you get started with running? Did you run as a junior?
2: Kind of. So... I was pretty sporty as a kid and uh, just loved playing all different sports. And uh, I was kind of doing out outside of the schooling system. I was doing football and baseball and uh, it's like in primary school, um, my primary school teacher, PE teachers kind of suggested I should try out for the, uh, the school cross country team. And uh, I'd tried out, got selected in the school team and uh, end up doing well. I, I think I was like, first or second in the zone, uh, in the districts and same with zones, first or second and made it to States. And, uh, I, um, my first States I couldn't compete at cause I had like a severe asthma attack probably about three or four days out and, uh, couldn't really breathe properly properly or anything like that. So, um, I had to skip wow. that, but, uh, the following year I made it to, to States and, uh, made the, the state's team and got selected and came third at national. So, um, and that was kind of, I hadn't been training at all. I kind of made it to states without training. And then the the state team had the occasional uh, training session, mandatory training session that you had to do. And I'd go down to that and worked out that training definitely helps you. So it wasn't until um, the following year I did, made it to nationals again and had a poor result like something I was pretty disappointed with and I've like oh I think I need to train a bit more and take it a bit more serious and decided probably about when I was about 14 that I'd uh get a coach and uh I found myself a local coach called Gregor Grigorsky. um he was like a he's only been in Australia for a little while he was the um national junior steeplechase coach for poland and uh he stayed on after the world um world junior champs in sydney and um met him he he trained me and uh he slowly pushed me away from all my other sports that i love to do so i was like doing the baseball the football and and stuff like that so the football um, kind of clashed with the running training. So, yeah, I had to skip, uh, get rid of that pretty quickly. So I think maybe 14 or 15, I, I decided to quit football. Um,
0: Is that rugby, rugby oh, league? AFL. AFL.
3: Yeah, AFL. Okay, yeah. yeah.
2: So gave that up early. Um, then I think I gave up the baseball when I was 18 and I did a little bit of like boundary umpiring as well. Um, just it was like basically a tra- paid training session I used to treat it as so... I gave that up about when I was 18 too. And then uh, I gave up my skateboarding probably around 18 or 19 as well. I kind of worked out, finally worked out that it was a huge injury risk and it wasn't what I'm doing. Whilst running. Oh, so, risky. Yeah. And then like, I was kind of still skating like when I was like 18 or 19, but I was like, Oh, you better not try that trick. That's a bit too risky. Doing uh, it secretly. Yeah. I was doing it and I was just like, when you're doing something which you're not kind of testing yourself it gets a little bit boring you're doing the same thing over and over and it's just like just not as fun so gave that up and and yeah just put all my focus into the running so when you say you
0: had um like an asthma attack is that something you've battled with through like for a long time because you sort of still have it to this day don't you
2: yeah I well as a kid I got it quite bad so I'd been hospitalized two or three times when I was little, uh, spent like, uh, I think one or two of the stints I'd spend like a week or so in hospital. And then like, I don't know, the last few days I might be participating in some asthma research and stuff like that. Um, and then I feel like the running's kind of helped me get over the asthma. So it's improved a lot. I, I don't get asthma as bad as what I used to. Like I occasionally get the flare ups, but they're nowhere near as bad as what i got as a kid um but i think it's kind of they say that it kind of transfers as you get older into like hay fever and stuff like that so when it comes springtime i just get severe hay fever it's like oh
0: really sneezing and oh yeah sneezing
2: just massive rainy noses and just crying basically all through spring (laughs) but uh yeah i'm kind of like this last year i've been quite sick um just kind of I don't know if I got like long COVID or something like that. I've never tested positive to COVID, but um, I think I must've got COVID late last year and I've just been getting chest infection after chest infection. And then that kind of felt like I was turning into a bit of asthma and stuff like that. And there was a period this year where I think it was around March, February, March. And uh, with any bit of training, which was faster than a tempo, I'd just start wheezing. So I could feel the wheeze in the chest and you could hear it whilst I was breathing. So like all my training was horrible. So at the start of the year, so I, uh, it's, uh, it's hard to say um, how bad the asthma is anymore, Um, but
0: got um, it under control.
2: Yeah. It's a lot better than what it was. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then, so you were representing Australia from like a pretty young age, weren't you? Like you world cross country champs.
2: Yeah, I kind of, my first team was like the World Schools Cross-Country Championships and uh, that was in Vary, I think, in 2002. Um, that was my first team and then I kind of, uh, my last few years, like under 18s to 20s, uh, I'd kind of made the criterias to be selected, like the performance criteria to be selected for the under 20s World Cross-Country team, but was told... No, like the first year I made the criteria, they said no. We'll only send you if five other. Oh, it was three other guys would make that time. Um, and then the following year, three other guys made that time, and they said no. We'll only select you if it was you ran. I think it was like fourteen oh five or something like that. And yeah, they had no intentions of sending under twenty teams back in the day. So I got kind of shafted with all that stuff. But uh since that date, um, my first year in the opens, I. I think I was third or fourth at the uh, World Cross Country trials in Canberra. Um, I got selected based on that. And then ever since then, I made every cross country team up until uh, the Denmark World Cross Country, where um, I had a shocker at the trials. I think, I think, uh, yeah, I had a cast on my hand. Um, I broke my hand at work and uh, I had a bit of time off running because every time I'd like, run for like a few weeks, I could feel pain in my hand. Yeah. Jolting. So I took a bit of time off running and tried to make the team and just, yeah, no chance. And then, and then, yeah, the last world cross, I didn't make the team too. So the last two world cross country championships I haven't made. So yeah, i bit bit chatted about that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you're a, an electrician for anyone who doesn't know. So is that something you, like you've, you started your apprenticeship, sort of when you left school or?
2: Uh, no, I, well, there's kind of two options for me, like out of high school, two things I kind of wanted to do. And one, I obviously knew that I wanted to to be a tradie. Um, that was one option, but was told, oh, it's going to be too laboring on the body. And then the other option that I was thinking was to do college in America. And that's one thing I definitely regret not doing. So I think I could have really furthered my career in that. And yeah, they were, the, they were the two options and then I tried to, I was told that, yeah, two laboring on the body. So yeah, those two options were scrapped and uh, I um, worked for about a year or two, like save up a little bit of money and kind of got myself eligible for independent OZ study and uh, kind of that was how I kind of supported myself during uni was that and do night fill Um To kind of get me by through the my uni years and uh did uni in australia did a degree that was kind of flooded and didn't really guarantee you anything when you finished it um if you're gonna ask it's a bachelor of exercise science so um and i think at the end of the degree it was like you do a four-year internship or something like that like a lot of places were abusing their interns and it was like you do your internships and it was like didn't guarantee you a job and they'd spit out and do another get another intern to get the job done as well so it was like I'm not doing any of that and uh, at the time I was kind of taking my running serious so I had like about a year or two kind of where I was trying to um, focus on like I wasn't professional in anything, um, wasn't sponsored. Like I was getting a little bit of gear. I wasn't like anything financial. So I was kind of um, trying to make it to the next level. And I missed the Olympic qualifying standard by, I think it was four seconds in the 10K. And uh, I was eligible for um, VIS support and NAS funding and stuff like that, but was told the time wasn't good enough it's discretion at the end of the day so i was like a few years of just trying to like i've been making criterias for support via institute of sport type of uh support and i was always told no you're not good enough and they'd always try and make the standard a bit quicker and kind of realize that yeah they're not going to support me ever so i had to think about the future and i was just like well i might as well do what i originally wanted to do something that i know that i'm going to love doing and it's going to be a job for the future and i guess in a way that was the way i was going to support my running was through working and being an apprentice sparky i ended up taking making the decision doing that and uh
1: well yeah.
2: bloody
0: sparkies they
2: charge through the
0: roof so you're probably doing all right out of that well i'm, I'm not the move. one charging so <laughs> yeah. yeah
2: what what is
0: um nas funding
2: uh, it's Athletics Australia um, funding. So they kind of select the athletes that they feel um, they want to throw their their budget in towards. And basically that kind of support kind of allows them to get massages and access to all these experts, like, I don't know, Queensland Institute of Sport or something like that in in Queensland yeah. or Victorian Insti- Institute of Sport or AIS, if you're in Canberra, um, it gives you access to those facilities. So you, you get those training facilities. You're also getting things like um, flights, accommodation, um, any like running expense paid for. So um, yeah, that that's was pretty, definitely that's gonna, pretty good. Eh? Oh. Yeah, that was definitely going to kind of help support the running, but. Um, for me, it was like, I'm not going to get that support. So I've got to go get a job and uh, do it myself.
0: Well, mate, you've done really done well in the uh, face of all that sort of adversity. So mate, yeah. what was your
2: first marathon that you ran? Uh, my first marathon was Melbourne Marathon in 2013. I um, think I'd just done, seated a surf, um, had a big, big run there and uh, I had some um business class tickets to like San Francisco so I did um a little trip with the missus there to see Buenos Aires oh not San Francisco it was South America sorry so yeah yeah. okay business class tickets there and uh kind of didn't give myself much of a preparation but I, I did Melbourne marathon and uh had a good one there I um ran a 21409, which uh got me qualified and selected for Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. And yeah, that was where my second marathon was, was Glasgow Commonwealth Games. Oh, that was your second marathon. How did that go? Uh it went well. <laughs> uh I went out there and kind of ran with the the Kenyans and the the Africans and uh uh they'll were- kind of running uh doing funny buggers so we had a couple of k's where it was pretty solid and they threw out a, a k or two which was like sub three maybe i think it was about a, a 252 k in there and uh we gapped like the rest of the field and uh then they just shut up shop and uh we went out to like 320 330 pace and the the main pack would catch us and they did this a few times so i got suckered into it twice. And then I was just like, where's Michael? Where's Michael Shelley? I'm like, he's not getting stuck into this stuff. So I was thought on the third time that they did it, I let them go. And I just started running with Michael and he just consistent paced through the field. And I just ran with him for most of it. And I think by about the 30, 30 K or 34, I think it was about 30 or 34 K somewhere around there. I just started dying a bit, um, and Michael just powered through, held on with the pack and just his last 5K, I think it was like a, a 14.10 or something ridiculous. Um, and I, I got spat out in the back and kind of blew up a bit. But I still ran a, a PB that day. It was like 2.13.48. So yeah, at the time it was pretty good. It was a pretty windy day as well. So I, I got isolated and uh, towards the end, but still held on strong. I think I was seventh overall. Um,
0: wow. Amazing. Man, I'll I listened to you on the straight at it podcast with is it Mitch Dyer? Yeah, Mitch. Yeah. It was really good, man. You said that um you've seen some pretty crazy things behind the scenes of some of these major events. You got any stories you can share with us about things you've seen? You don't have to mention any names or anything, but that story about the straws going in the toilets is pretty interesting.
2: Oh, it was like they weren't straws, they were cylinders and Yeah, if whatever it was was legal, it'd probably just go straight in the bin. Um, But they didn't want anyone to see what it was or or anything, so they just thought, yep, straight in the toilets. And very,
0: very suspicious.
2: Yeah, (laughs)
0: you seen any other crazy things like that?
2: Um, oh, you kind of see some interesting. I've like, there's been a race in Australia where I saw two internationals one said to the other was like oh you got that you got those pills and the other one got nods and then it was like kind of a pack of people together like a few elites elite athletes and um, I don't think they thought that anyone heard and then the one of the internationals gave it to the other international and the um, other international who took it walked away about 10 meters away from the pack and walked to the wall and kind of went Like this, and uh, came back to the pack afterwards, and I I witnessed that. I was just like, "Oh, what's going on there?" And why would you call whatever if it was a neuraphen or a caffeine tablet? Just openly take it, yeah, yeah, (laughs) or just say, "Yeah, you got that neuraphen." Like, yeah, (laughs) like I don't know why you'd be calling it a pill. Yeah, it sounds a bit. And that must just
0: make you angry when you're when you're doing it naturally, clean, and you just see so much shit like that going it must just really
2: you also hear stories from like past elites and what they see and witness and i've also had like a a friend who's been a doping chaperone and uh they said that they were doing it at commonwealth games um in melbourne and they had a list of athletes that they weren't allowed to if they they'd walk up and randomly select an athlete ask him for their accreditation look at their name and then look on their list To see if they were allowed to drug test them, so (laughs) you just wonder, like, what is going on with this sport? What are they doing? (laughs) It's crazy, hey! Like,
0: it's hard to not be like really negative about it, but like when you see some of the world records or like you know really good times happen, and they're just by done by someone who's just come out of nowhere, and you just think, man, how is that possible?
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the thing with like the guys which come out of nowhere is they've never been drug tested before. Yeah. So I think in those type of countries, you only get drug tested if you've got a very high ranking in the world. Um, so if you're an up-and-comer in those countries, you, you've never had a drug test before.
0: Yeah, and you think about when like COVID was happening, there was like countries were locked down. There was no, They weren't letting people into tests anyway. <laughs> they they were. weren't letting so, water like, into Imagine the what test, they were no. getting
2: up to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think athletes kind of realize that. I think that year um, was probably the year that I think the longest period I hadn't had a drug test, a drug test knock at my door. So I I kind of knew that I wasn't getting drug tested, but I still was under the impression that they possibly would drug test and stuff like that. So uh, like, I think a lot of athletes thought that that might've been the case. And I think you'd heard stories that WADA wasn't allowed to get into particular countries. So yeah. So if,
0: if you get a knock at the door and they want to drug test you, what actually happens?
2: Well, I used to set my, um, cause I'm on the whereabouts list, um, which means that like, I'm highly ranked in Australia. So I'm, I'm the one kind of keeping Australia compliant to the ASADA act and, allowing them to get their government funding so yeah whenever they knock on the door yeah it's either going to be blood or urine and the rule is kind of like whenever they do like an out of competition drug test they're kind of doing it for your um by like your your passport um which kind of like is your base levels and stuff like that so there's like specific rules around that so if i'd done a training session or a run within that two hours they've got to sit with you and and wait until that two hours is up from when you finished your exercise so there's been times where like i'd set my drug test hour back in the day i used to set it for 10 p.m at night thinking that i'd be finished my run by then and uh yeah there's a couple of times where my partner charlotte would call me up and go drug testers are here cut your run short or you're going to be like like
0: oh wow Like
2: you're going to be up all night. So yeah, I'd get home as quick as I I can. And uh, yeah, they'd wait with me until like that two hours was up. And there'd be times where they'd been at my house till like 12 in the morning. So I changed my hour till like five in the morning just so I've got the hour between five and six. And then basically from six, I can leave the house and go to work. So you kind of guarantee an hour per day that you're going to be in, a location obviously I always select my house and uh yeah that's an hour but they can get they can drug test you any time out of those hours too so they can rock up to my work um and drug test me there um because I got to put in details like where I work each day uh where I train uh where I sleep and and that so
0: yeah how how many times a year do you do you reckon you get tested
2: um Probably about five, maybe four or five times yeah. a year, they come to my house, and then you also get your in competition drug test too. So, races like Gold Coast Marathon, you'll get drug tested at. So and then Is that yeah. before or after? Uh that one was after. Um, I got drug drug tested straight after the race, and uh, it was a weird experience that one. <laughs> so why? why? So um, at about the twenty. 20- 23 24 k mark i was kind of getting a bit of stomach cramps i'm like oh i need to go to the toilet and i was kind of concerned <laughs> that i'd do a bit of a deeks on <laughs> uh thankfully like i i held the stomach held together but after the race i was just fasting r- really painful gut pain and like the drug oh, testing came over i said i need to um i need to go to the toilet <laughs> and uh they're like oh um they like gave me a cup and they're like yeah Um, if you can (laughs) do that as well. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so I provided a partial sample and uh, that had to be sealed and locked up. And then um, that was like kept with the drug tester. Um, And then I had presentation. So uh, the, my partial urine sample was kept with the drug tester in the room whilst he was doing all these other drug testers, drug tests. And then I went to um, presentation um, came back and then finished the the urine sample off so I'd had a couple of waters and stuff like that to try and um, hydrate again
0: crazy yeah it's pretty full on
2: yeah and <laughs> the the funny thing is it's just it, it's a weird feeling so yeah um, whenever I'm at home and like even like when I'm at a competition so the what happens is the there's a the main person who does all the paperwork there's usually a person which does your blood so uh, obviously someone qualified to do take blood from you a pathologist and then there's another person who kind of watches you pee into a cup so when you do that you have you're told to pull your pants down to your knees and pull your shirt up to your nipples so and then you're basically yeah this person's kind of just staring closely at you Oh uh, god. like within a meter and a half or two meters when i'm at when i'm uh at home they kind of jump in the shower and then they're just like in the shower staring making sure that everything's above board and stuff like oh, that so, yeah it's a it's a weird feeling having that happen <laughs> <laughs> but you, you get used to it at the end stage fright blind <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: oh man that's really interesting man so The most recent Commonwealth Games, you just did your typical style of just go to the front and just hit it hard. Can you tell us about that race? Because I I think I watched an interview with you and you said that you didn't really get any details about the course or something. Like, So
2: you just kind of just went for it. So, uh, yeah, I didn't get any information. I was sent a a corrupt file um, from someone from Athletics Australia sent me a corrupt file and I couldn't open it on my phone or my laptop or anything like that. So I I had no information of like how much, how hilly it was and how crazy that last section after we'd done the loops that last like 10 K or so um, was just brutal. Um, I had no information until race day when I was watching the wheelchair athletes um, battle some of those hills. And I'm like, Oh, any, any kind of like ambitions of running a fast time on this course are gone <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's going to be a really tough one out there. So that was kind of my, the only information that I got pre-race was just watching the wheelies go and uh, yeah, watching them battle to the line. I was just like, Oh, this looks very brutal. And yeah, once you got to that last section and saw those hills, Oh, <laughs> it carnage. Nuts, man. And also, you had um
0: blacked out because when the, I was watching it live, like I'm a bit of a not a shoe geek, but I love yeah, yeah. you know all the super shoes and, that, and I was start, like trying to work out what you had on your feet, but they were like spray painted or something, weren't they?
2: Yeah, they were. Uh so at the Olympics, I I did the same thing, but they were like a white pair of super shoes, so I decided to use white paint, and that just flaked. Uh, on. Yeah, and I'm just like. <laughs> Oh, the, the white paint just doesn't stick and and that so it just flaked off really quickly and it's pretty easy to see what I wore at the Olympics and I decided I, I actually couldn't be, get a pair of super shoes at the time I think they were like kind of sold out or they weren't in stock so I ended up having to wear the exact same pair that I wore at uh, the Olympics so the ones that I painted white um, or the ones I painted black at Commonwealth Games were the actual ones that I wore at the, uh, at the Olympics so uh, yeah. I got a couple of marathons out of them and a few other local fun runs and half marathons as well. So they, they got a fair bit of use and I I still use them this day as like a training pair. So then is that,
0: is that because just no one was looking after you with a shoe deal or anything like that?
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no shoe deal. Um, And yeah, you, you're basically um, paying for super shoes, which gets expensive. You're trying out all these different super shoes. You hear all these like reviews that, Oh, this super shoe is good. So you go and buy that one, and it's a really expensive habit. But uh, um, yeah, and also the accessibility uh, at the end for Commonwealth Games, it was accessibility. I couldn't get buy a pair of the super shoes that kind of suit my feet. Yeah, don't um, cause blisters and stuff like that. So end up having to wear an old pair. And the the reason why a lot of people um, couldn't really work out what shoes that I was wearing was. I'd kind of cut the heels um, from the back.
0: Yeah, because I had that yeah I, I was I screenshotted you running and actually zoomed in and I was like nah they couldn't be um I th- I thought that you might have had like um vapors on but I thought nah the heels different
2: yeah so the pair that I wore at the Olympics um for Sapporo or Tokyo um I got to the halfway mark. And I just felt something was cutting into my heel on my right foot and it was just cutting. And I thought my sock had fallen down and I was having issues with that. And I was, I kind of got to the halfway mark and I'm gone. I need to pull my sock up here. And I kind of stopped for like two seconds to kind of quickly pull my sock up. Notice my sock was up, but I still yanked it up anyway. And there's already blood all over my shoes and, uh, yeah. So I was just like, I need to kind of fix that. So I hadn't really had the same issue with other pairs of that particular shoe. Uh, it just seems like I must have got a bad batch, which for some reason, the right heel was always cutting into my foot. So I ended up just cutting the back of my foot, uh, the back of the heel, and then cutting the other side too, just for. Just oh, so you didn't sense.
0: change the sole of the shoe? No, no. I've uh, cause we in the like one of the Facebook groups, I mean, we were trying to work out what it was that you were wearing and I thought the actual sole looked different.
2: Oh, okay. Um <laughs> but, no, like, uh, that the only thing that I did to that pair of shoes was just cut the back of the heel. I um did actually for my first pair of um um four percents um that I got, I think that was a bad pair of shoes as well, where like My left foot was fine, but my right foot was like doing this like hyper um, pronation. And I was like really caving in and it was causing issues like some like ligament issues. And uh, I ended up cutting that shoe open and shifting the plate to the inside of my foot to kind of create a bit more stability there. I did that for, I wore that pair of shoes for one marathon. Um, That resolved that issue, but then the next pair that I bought the next um, 4% that I bought didn't give me that type of issue. So I think that was another one where there's a bad, bad batch yeah. out of the factory. Yeah. It
0: depends what factory they come out of. They reckon that um, the different countries use slightly different foam apparently. Yeah. Well, yeah. like the first pair of um, vapors I had just felt like amazing. And then the second pair I had just, just felt dead, you know, yeah, not as yeah. much spring in them.
2: Yeah. I reckon I've had a few of those pairs of shoes where you just feel like you're getting nothing out of them compared to like another pair. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So mate, the Gold Coast Marathon this year, you had a bit of a a stint of training overseas, but you you were having asthma problems before you went. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. um, I think it was that long, I I think. Long COVID. Long COVID or something. I'd never tested positive to COVID, but there's a few times where i thought i did have it and the the test would say negative like a negative and i was just like okay i'll take that but they're obviously like yeah your rapid tests where they i think the percentage is 30% of them actually can test for uh, covid or something like that so i yeah i at some point i think i got covid and I just kept getting chest infection after chest infection. And then I think it turned to asthma towards the end where, yeah, I was wheezing all the time and that, and I could feel like the wheeze when I was running and yeah. The meds really helped that out. Yeah. There's an old asthma medication that I used to have as a kid and that cleared the chest and I could breathe normally. And I don't know, I guess, when you've been running at what a 60% lung capacity or whatever it is, I I don't know, but once you can breathe normally, it just, everything feels awesome after that. So yeah, yeah, it's just exciting to get back to running. And uh, so then you went, you went to um, Flagstaff, is that correct? Is that right? Yeah. Yes. So that was mid May I went to Flagstaff and I was going to go probably a week or two later, but um, just with the way things were going, I decided that I'd can a couple of the Australian races um, that I was kind of looking to target just because the marathon training was going terribly. So I was supposed to start the marathon training in March, but I just couldn't get the training in just because I was being sick. And then towards the end, it was kind of work affecting it, but it was also, um I was getting like a few car issues. So um I was kind of, when I, once I was getting home from work, I was kind of trying to, Sort out my car and trying to fix that up, and that was kind of meaning that I was like skipping a run here and there. Um, so I wasn't quite getting the marathon training in prior to leaving. I did do a great marathon session the day that I left to go to Flagstaff. Yeah, and tell then... us,
0: tell us about that because I've, uh, I've heard this on the uh, on that Straight At It podcast, it's insane!
2: Yeah, so it's this session where i i do 34k in total and it's basically i do 5k 5k at like a pace and i kind of try and target a sub sub three minutes for that pace and then the the next 5k is kind of recovery and you kind of do an equal recovery to your effort it's basically 5k 4k 3k 2k 1k and then you get into 800 600 400 200 right right a total of 34k and I ran that in um one hour 44 and 55 seconds which um for 34k it's pretty much 210 pace uh so it's 305 per K average um that's including like the recoveries and that so that's averaged out in there so I think I was I started out something crazy um. I went out a bit too hard. I, I did my first 5K in 1423. um, And then my float was like 1555 um, for the next 5K. Then the next 4K was like 1137, which is like 254 pace. And then the next 4K for my recovery was like 1250. So i um, looking through my splits. I was keeping everything under three minute Ks for my efforts. And then my f- kind of, floats or or recoveries were roughly around 313s but they did balloon out a little bit towards the end so looking towards the end of that session I was kind of hitting 330 average for my recovery type of runs Um, and a a little bit towards the end of that session I was kind of getting a bit of like a hamstring cramp so I don't think I was quite conditioned for that session because it was like I'd kind of put together two decent weeks. I, I was running about 185 K weeks uh, just before that session. Um, but I was just, I think I, I was having like one day off per week just cause something would happen. So yeah. um, just, just on your like
0: your weekly like totals. I mean, you're in a, a you know, super elite athlete, and um, our podcast, we call it the uh, the running podcast for the average runner. Um, yeah. So just to explain to the listeners, why do you need such high mileage? Is that just something
2: that you do? Or is that a really common thing among elite marathoners? So uh, it's pretty common amongst the elite marathoners, but uh, I think a lot of the other Australians, they probably do something between 185 to kind of, 210 maybe for their marathon programs and that's kind of because they're throughout the whole year they're kind of um they're training like professionals so they're getting that mileage in um in the other months whereas like my mileage kind of gets affected through work and um you get quite busy with that that type of thing so yeah I guess this is probably a lot to do with my uh, sickness that I had through the year but from Feb to March, I was only doing like 97K weeks. Um, so average of... Only. Yeah. 13 point, 13.9K a day. March, so this is when I was supposed to start my uh, marathon program. So March to April, I actually was doing... I was down at 81.9K per week, and which is 11.7K per day. And that was mainly because I had a week off just because I'd been pretty sick and um, it just felt like nothing was working. And I just thought I needed a week off to try and see if that would help the health. And and it actually didn't. So <laughs> I was still sick after that. So I was struggling. So my mileage is generally probably a little bit higher than that. I might just normal mileage when I'm not training for a marathon, I'm probably doing about 120 k's a week to 140 sometimes 160 um if i'm if i've got something training that i'm training towards and quite motivated but uh kind of when i take some time off work and uh say for a marathon program i kind of do like to uh, put the mileage in and you're kind of really focused um on that marathon that one goal and you're kind of giving it your all and i generally like to get Above 185 to maybe 210, if I'm working and and running at the same time, or tr- working and training for a marathon, I'll be trying to do that type of mileage. And if I can get more out, then obviously I would try to. But you're kind of restricted with time, and just you got to counter for the fact that uh, works obviously going to be quite laboring on the body, and it's an yeah. extra stress. So you got to factor that in for your recoveries. So.
0: Uh, so do monitor. you do you run in the morning and then go to work and then run again in the afternoon? No,
2: I I don't have that ability. So um, just with like with being a trader, you kind early of early starts, early yep. starts. So um, and I'm not a morning person, so <laughs> I don't think I can wake up at four a.m. and go for a run and a training session. So I kind of just stack everything into the the one run after work, um, and that's generally probably after a little nap after work to try and try and just recover and relax from work and get ready for that session so um yeah when it comes to that little stint that I had away I was pumping out some big mileage there and I think that kind of was a little bit of a shock to some of the older generations which uh, I think that that's probably a bit too much mileage but I averaged um, 243k a week whilst I was away for five weeks and my biggest mileage week Um, over in Flagstaff was 261Ks, uh, which is 37.3K a day. Um, And for me, um, doing that type of mileage is actually easier than working full-time and trying to get 185K a week in. So I'd find that 185K harder than doing a a 261K k week. I probably could have done more that week, but I was kind of concerned about my my base that I had previous to this marathon block. So I thought I better try and make sure that I'm not overdoing it here. So I was kind of playing it safe and trying to be smart with my approach. But when I take that time off work, um, I'm obviously investing my own money into it. So that Flagstaff trip cost me about 10 grand. So I just kind of, I'm investing that money. I, I want to make sure that I'm getting getting my money's worth really yeah sure (laughs) so gotta make sure you're doing the best you can so do you feel like you just respond really well to just
0: loads of volume like that
2: uh yeah definitely (laughs) um yeah if i could do it um a bit more that'd be great but uh you've got those restrictions but um i think it's that like i get into that all or nothing type of approach like you get focused on the the marathon and that goal of trying to run a personal best, and yeah, everything comes a bit easier than if you're not training for something. So, yeah, the mileage comes up, and I'm quite motivated, and you, you're seeing your performance, your fitness gains, and stuff like that. So, I think I think that kind of um, that ball ball keeps rolling. You kind of get that momentum, and you just keep building on that. So, yeah, I definitely respond. Uh, really well from that high mileage do you have much time off
3: before a race for anything
2: um well that was the first marathon well I kind of for um Olympics or Commonwealth Games I might take probably about maybe three or four weeks off just before the Olympics to kind of um just kind of train like a professional would or like someone else would that's preparing for the Olympics and and yeah that's probably it I kind of they're the only marathons that I do but this was the first time and I kind of was at a point just being sick and just having some terrible results this year I just thought I needed to spend a bit more time off work and just really invest some money into trying to trying to get that personal best and and that because I just felt like just things weren't going well for me and I just needed to dedicate more more time and focus a bit more on the running and shift probably a lot more of that like I guess when you're working you've got that that focus on work as well and you kind of balance it with the running but I just thought that maybe work was kind of taking a bit more of a priority to my running just because I'd been sick and I just need to reset the mind and got out did some altitude training with a couple of other Australians and um yeah just really got that um I just really enjoyed that period of training like dedicating that time to training for a marathon and that focus and just somehow got really quick um really fit really quick and I kind of didn't contact Gold Coast Marathon until June um to tell them that I wanted to run so (laughs) uh, I entered really late (laughs) you so you were in Flagstaff for four weeks is that right I did four weeks of like training hard at altitude and then it was kind of two weeks taper, but that one of those weeks I kind of kept the mileage up. I think my second last week of my taper was probably about 185 K week, something like that. Um, so it was pretty high. Yeah. Uh, so it was about a, a week and a half taper. So yeah, I got some good quality training in there and, yeah, it was a good, decent block away from work, so, I uh, yeah, I wasn't coming home from work where my back was stiff and sore. And yeah, yeah. that's was, what oh, I was yeah. going to say. Like, mate, well,
0: I'm a chippy. I run my own business, so I can kind yeah. of come and go as I please, which was good yeah. before Gold Coast because I did hardly anything. But yeah, like my back's always sore. Like every morning I get out of bed. I'm like, oh, must be yeah. running the miles you do. I just don't know how you do it carrying oh. rolls of um cable around must just oh man it'd be
2: so hard yeah it's yeah well i've been uh i used to do during my apprenticeship i was doing like just domestic work and shop fit outs but um after i finished my apprenticeship i uh, moved across and started doing um some large scale um commercial solar and the some of these some of these builds are like three hundred and fifty kilowatt type jobs where it's like a thousand panels or something like that. And um it's just repetitive work and it's all below waist. So bending you know, over constantly over bending over and it's just putting lots of stress on the back. And this these weeks that i just came back from uh Gold Coast Marathon, oh I've just been so deconditioned from work that like my body felt relatively good after gold coast marathon i had a little bit of tight quads and that that might have been just like running on softer surfaces and not hitting asphalt as much as i would for a a normal marathon prep um but i got over that pretty quickly like a a massage or two and it was completely fine but the back's getting a little bit stiff again and (laughs) yeah (laughs) hasn't been fun this last week just adapting back to work Did you have any dramas
0: getting to the Gold Coast? Because I talked to um, Dave Ridley. He actually came on the week of the marathon, but I've been chatting to him on Instagram, and he had a nightmare even just getting there with flights getting cancelled. Did you have any problems with that?
2: Oh, yeah. Mine was a disaster. So um, I left my Airbnb um, in Flagstaff 10 a.m. Tuesday morning, and... uh, drove down to Phoenix Airport oh well not to Phoenix Airport I went to drove to Phoenix to this car rental and uh, it's probably about a 20 minute drive from the airport but it's in a pretty bad suburb and I had to catch public transport back from the car rental to the airport and uh, I didn't know this at the time when I had rented it but I, I did it because if I rented a car from uh, anywhere near the airport, it was like a grand and a half more. So I just was like, I'm going to this place and I'm getting this car for like yeah. a, and a half less. Obviously, it's going to yeah. make a big difference. So I did that and uh, yeah, it's a pretty bad suburb. So there's like a high rate, like the people at the um, the bus stop that I was waiting at, I think, yeah, they were all drug addicts and the one of the guys sitting next to me, Uh, He had a box, and it was a one of. There was a guy that I was. He knew that I was a foreigner, so he started chatting to me. He was doing rehab, Um, and he said to me, "Oh, see that guy over there? Um, That's a prison box." So he was just released from jail. So he like he was on his way home or wherever he was going, um, just after being released from jail. So all these belongings he's had for the last five or ten years that's been locked up are all in one box. And I waited at that, that bus stop, the bus was delayed. So it was like an hour wait there. Uh, it was at the time it was 41 degrees, uh, direct sunlight. I didn't really want to get underneath this bus shelter because like there's a few sus characters there and I was a bit concerned about my welfare. So I kind of kept my distance a little bit, um, and just waited in the sun there, caught the bus finally. Um, got to the airport we uh our flight had uh an issue with the propeller so we're kind of sitting on the plane for like I think it was about an hour to 90 minutes and we're just waiting for them to the maintenance guys to fix something on the propeller and then like there's babies crying around us and just because it was like still 41 degrees at like 6 p.m at night and they would just decided, yep, yeah, this has taken too long. So everyone get off the plane and we'll board a bit later. And uh, that flight, we finally got on that flight after they changed the, uh, the crew, the airline crew, um, just because they would missed their shifts. So they had to change airline crew. We got on that flight and got to Los Angeles just after my flight to Melbourne was supposed to leave. So, Um, myself and this i met some other australian which was coming back from a a few months stint living in phoenix Um, i think he was doing something with uni over there he was like on a exchange and he lived in adelaide and he was supposed to catch that melbourne flight so we both bolted when we got to los angeles through that was an absolute maze of an airport so we're just trying to work out where to go got to our gate and we're one of the first ones to get there so Uh, we kind of heard we're trying to work out what we're doing I was kind of resigned to the fact that I was going to have to wait a full day a full like we'll go I was going to be staying overnight in Los Angeles and then waiting a full day for my next flight so I was kind of resigned to that but as soon as the uh, South Australian told me he he'd heard that the Sydney flight was delayed uh, the Brisbane flight had left, but the Sydney flight was delayed. So we just bolted to the Sydney kind of gate and asked what they could do. And they changed our flights to the Sydney one. So I ended up going through to Sydney, but that flight that I was going to catch from Sydney to Melbourne, I, I missed. Oh, that was delayed. So I ended up getting into Melbourne really late. And uh, all the things that I'd kind of planned – to kind of get done before going to Gold Coast, I couldn't really do. So I had this like a short 6K run with my um, my friend and osteo, Steve Dineen. He He was going to do a bit of a treatment to kind of make sure, do some adjustments and make sure everything's good after the flight, the long flight that I had. And I had treatment from him. And then I got home, I think it was like 6 p.m. at night and had to do this mad bolt to the airport to catch my flight into gold coast and um, we rushed to the airport, uh, got there on time, but then that flight got delayed. So I didn't end up getting into gold coast until 12. Th- like I didn't get to the air. Oh, I got to the airport, but by the time I actually got into the hotel and checked in, it was like 1230 in the morning. So on, on Friday. So <laughs> at least you had the Saturday just
0: kind of chill
2: yeah yeah so Friday I had a decent sleep in um had their media thing at about 11 but um I think I kind of like just with the time zones and that I kind of I think with all the issues that I had I think it it really worked out well with adapting to the time zone so um, I was falling asleep a bit earlier than I usually would so it it did eventually work out in my favour, but it was quite stressful at the time. I kind of thought it was going to panic. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely, yeah.
0: So, what's the morning of a marathon look like for you? Do you get up super early and eat, or you don't? You don't eat anything, or? Uh,
2: yeah. Um, I kind of get concerned about getting big stitches and stuff like that, so I try and do focus on like doing all my. Um, fueling the night before so I'm having big meals the night before and um, I I kind of sometimes I have the issue where like you might wake up um, at some horrible time before the race and then you get into that fear that oh you're not going to get back to sleep and it starts playing in your head that oh um, you're awake you're not going to get much sleep and you just start panicking a bit so kind of decided to try and make that a little bit of a a thing to my advantage. So um, I might like, I I think I woke up sometime around 12 o'clock at night, like the night before, and I decided that I'd make that an opportunity to have something to eat. So I had some like, uh, what was it I had this time? I think it was like a chocolate croissant or something like that um, at that time. And I kind of tricks tricks my mind into thinking that I woke up for a purpose and got back to bed. And it happened again at about one 30 or two. I kind of woke up again and I just had a cup, like had a, had a drink of water and a bit, little bit more food. And uh, that was the last bit I ate before the race. I think I might've had like maybe two or three like lollies or something like that. Some killer pythons um, just after I woke up at maybe four. That was the last bit I ate.
0: Yeah. So no like major food in the morning, just uh, nothing major. Stuff. I
2: just kind yeah. of the fear of just like doing all that hard work and then eating too much before the race. Yeah. I've got that fear. Like you don't that want to be I, I give myself into to bit. the
0: toilet. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh,
2: well I, usually my warm ups are just focused on making sure <laughs> I get everything out. <laughs> um, before the race so that's the most important thing is just the toilet getting to the toilet and making sure you're completely empty but um just I just yeah don't like taking the risks of stitches but when I um did the the Tokyo prep or the Sapporo prep for the Olympics uh we kind of had a hyperhydration protocol and that really tested the uh the gut strength out so um maybe I probably should be having a little bit more to eat or drink before a race. Cause if you kind of train that and, and that you can teach your body to adapt to it. So yeah, maybe that's something I need to work on. And I, I obviously don't have access to those sports nutritionists. So I haven't really worked out what the best um, thing for my yeah. running. I just go off how, how I've done in the past and what works. But yeah, maybe the thing is what I need to do in the future is, um, have a meal a couple of hours out, maybe three or four in the morning, depending on what time the race is and make sure I have that extra fuel in there. Yeah. Yeah. So the race went really well for you at the Gold Coast. You just missed out
0: on an Olympic qualifier. Was it a qualifying time by what was it? 20 seconds?
2: Uh, the, I missed the qualifying time by um i did two o eight thirty nine. so i needed two o eight ten. so 29 seconds i missed it by um yeah so less than a second per k and i was running really well up until about the, the 34 35k i think i my 34th and 35th k were two two k's where i did like a 259 and a 259 and then i st- lost a little bit of contact with the lead guy and it was like a 306 307 307 and then the big blow-up happened um I did a a 311 oh well yeah obviously it was um probably maybe 33k I was kind of running well but then the blow-ups kind of started happening so my last 4k I ended up doing a 311 a 311 a 318 and then a 311 so yeah maybe maybe the thing was the fueling, so maybe that last bit was the fueling or or maybe it was uh, if I had another three or four weeks of training, um maybe yeah. I would have been a bit stronger over that last little bit, but um yeah, massive p v regardless so i'm I'm happy with that coming from Melbourne, would you say that that was like a hot day? uh well, if I had have done the whole preparation in Melbourne Uh, yes, that would have definitely been a warm day. I I remember hearing quite a few of the guys saying who, who live in Melbourne saying that was warm, but, uh, I was pretty lucky that I went to Flagstaff and did that altitude training. So I was getting lovely weather over there. Like, um, I think I only had out of the time I was there, I might've had two or three days where I, I had two or three runs where it rained for maybe half an hour to an hour max. One Of those runs, it might have got down to about eight degrees or something like that. My hands are frozen, but uh, most of the time it was like 20, 20 degrees through to about 27 degrees. So when I was there at Gold Coast, uh, the, the heat wasn't an issue. Um, yeah, I, I was pretty comfortable with that heat.
0: Yeah, that's I just there was just so many people, like so many of the local guys that I follow. Yeah, there's so many blow ups on that day. Like, I just feel like it was hotter than it sort of seemed i just think maybe a lot of people didn't drink enough and everyone paid for it sort of around that 37 38 37k you watch everyone's splits dropped
2: yeah i think the heat definitely like it would pay like obviously have it have an effect on everyone but i think also a little bit of the wind too so um a bit more resistance as well um and then if you kind of haven't been taken on the fuel, um, the drinks, the water and stuff like that, then your body's probably under a lot of stress previous to adding that extra stress of having the wind there too. So I think, yeah, that's where the blow-ups come. And yeah, I think obviously you're getting to that point of a marathon where that's obviously the hardest part of the marathons, that last little section. And like, regardless of condition, that's always going to be the toughest part, but you add those two factors in the heat and the wind then yeah it's a it's a bit of a recipe for some big blow-ups. Yeah. yeah.
0: Man you kind of like mumbled it under your breath 20839 was your finishing time that's the fastest time by an Aussie on Australian soil ever. So it's a piece yeah. of history man it's just unbelievable run like congratulations mate that's just yeah it's just something special.
2: Cheers mate yeah I I didn't know it was the fastest time on Australian soil until, uh, I heard it over like the announcer kind of read it out and I was just like, Oh, okay, that's cool. And then you had Deeks there as well. And he, he was super excited for me. So, um, yeah, like I'm absolutely over the moon with getting such a big PB. Um, like it's like a, about a two minute, 10 second PB. Um, and yeah, to join that sub two ten club is amazing. I I've always I've always kind of thought I was a sub two ten runner. And uh it's taken a while to finally get there. Um so it's great to finally get that achievement too. And I knew I was in a PB shape. I just didn't know how much by and uh once the pacemakers went out at like the Australian record pace, <laughs> I was feeling pretty good at the time. I just kind of went with it. Um so yeah, I was happy to come away with such a massive PB, but kind of shattered that uh, I missed that Olympic qualifying standard, which is kind of like my number one goal out of the race was to try and get that Olympic qualifying standard. So I shattered about that, but I, I think I can go get it somewhere else. And I know I'm, a, I'm, ca- yeah. I'm obviously capable of that type of time. So um, yeah. Almost
0: like you're just getting started, like get a decent prep in and you'll be absolutely flying.
2: Yeah. So I guess, yeah, after like when I kind of entered Gold Coast, I was a bit unsure if that was going to be the race where I'd get the Olympic qualifying standards. So I I sent an email across the Berlin Marathon previous to sending the message to Gold Coast Marathon that I was going to do it. Um, And I kind of said that I wanted to do Berlin Marathon and they got back to me. So I got my um, entry in for that. So uh, When's, When's that? Uh, the last week of September. So I think it's like September 24th or 25th. So um, yeah, I can't really have much of a, much of a a recovery from this marathon. I've got to get straight back into it. So I've yeah. had two weeks now of just like kind of easy back stuff. To, back to 300 K <laughs> weeks. <laughs> so from tomorrow onwards, uh, yeah, it's right back into it again. So <laughs> yeah, I've, I've enjoyed the kind of, the last few days where I've been go out and do whatever distance I want. Now I've got to kind of focus on trying to get some good mileage in. So tomorrow I'll have to pump out some good mileage after work and get some really good training sessions in again from now on. So
3: yeah, right back into it again. Here he is Nathan Barden. Hi mate. Let's just um, give me two seconds. I just got in from a run. uh, Apologies. hey Liam. How are you? Yeah, not too bad yourself. Yeah, mate. Good, good. Um, Bear with me two seconds. I'll jump back in.
0: Yeah, sweet. Mate, have you got any advice for like most of the listeners are, um, they're just like average runners. Or do, they get into their park run. You got any advice for like people doing marathons who are sort of running around the three hour mark? Um, apart from just run more. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, yeah, obviously the marathon's a bit larger and tougher than a, a local. Fun, uh, park run or a shorter fun run so yeah oh, sorry i'm just trying to get a a battery charger oh
3: shit my we've been going, uh, we've laptop's at like laptops
2: at three percent and I, it only just came up then so shit um hey, man, we've been going
0: on and on it's been so <laughs> so interesting for us yeah it's been great man I've...
2: i guess um yeah it's marathons such a large difference and like large difference between a a 5k so and it yeah it's it requires a lot of strength so um ideas of trying to run anywhere near your 5k park run just throw them out of a window because yeah if you tried to do that it's just gonna make your uh, marathon experience brutal so it's it's definitely an event where it's like an, an unknown like when i did my first marathon i didn't know what pace to go at, I kind of felt like I was going out at a comfortable pace, but anything after a half marathon was unknown to me. So um, I didn't know whether like by the 22 K mark, I was just going to be in struggle street and just battling to the line, or if I was still going to be good until 30 K or 35 K I didn't know how I was supposed to feel until the end. So even on like on race day, you just don't know um, your pacing. Uh, judgments and that. And I guess through training um, you try and get a long run in and you kind of get gauges of what type of fitness you you're in and what type of paces you can handle. So at the end of the day, you kind of got to be really honest with yourself with the the type of fitness you're in and your goals that you want to achieve with that marathon. Um, So yeah, you, yeah, you just got to go with the pace that you you think or know you can do. Uh not with the like ultimate goal of I want to be this in the future. I'm gonna try and run that pace now and then eventually I'll get there because you're gonna have some really bad experiences with the marathon. What
0: was that first one?
2: What did you run? Uh two fourteen oh nine. (laughs) Um
0: that's fine. So that was wasn't
3: the slow (laughs) mate. Come on.
2: It uh it was really unknown what, how I was supposed to feel. And I think maybe, maybe my first experience with the mal uh, the marathon kind of made me fear kind of eating and drinking too much before a marathon. Cause I had a stitch at like kind of a mild stitch at about three K and I didn't take on any waters or drinks throughout the whole race. So, um, I was like, I'd like, when I was at uni, we did this thing where there was a thing where if you did like a glucose rinse, like you had something which was high glucose and you just like kind of squeezed it in your mouth and what uh, kind of swelled it around your mouth, it kind of, um, kind of activated glucose receptors and it kind of tricked them into thinking you'd got more glucose in. So I was kind of doing that at like the halfway mark and that, and uh I was Going fairly well. I was up with the lead guys. Um, Yuki Kawauchi was in that race and there's a few Kenyans and I was going strong with them in the front pack. And then by the 30k mark, they threw down a sub three minute K. I think it was like 252. And I kind of thought, oh, this is pretty hot. And it's unknown territory. Um and uh, I think that 252 K blew me up after that because I started going backwards pretty quickly. Uh yeah so it's you just don't know what type of form you're in it's it's a real challenge and i think the more you can train like the specificity towards you of your training towards a marathon if it's you can make it quite specific for marathons uh, and completing the marathon then you're getting better ideas of ideas of like of the type of form you're going to be in and the type of paces you can hold, so you kind of want to make yourself as knowledgeable as you can of your own body, but also what's required for a marathon. And I guess, yeah, that's the kind of goal that you will want to do with marathon training. Great advice, man. We we better let you
0: go. You've re- bat- <laughs> laptops running out. We've been going for nearly an hour and a half. Yeah, but man, it's been fascinating. Ox, dead set could have just sat and listened to you tell.
3: Yeah, because I've got a question about the off-time, Willie.
0: About the what, sorry?
3: Off-time, and you don't have to put this on, but I've got to ask you, Liam, because you've been in America, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Well, I lived in America eight years, but In-N-Out Burger was my favorite meal. Have you tried that?
2: (laughs) Oh, mate, uh, I love American burgers. And, and, yeah, I remember I had a trip to America in 2012, and that was when I was introduced to In-N-Out Burger. Yeah, man absolutely loved it but uh, uh i don't think there was an in and out burger at flagstaff but okay. we we uh i'm yeah i was i'm madly love my american burger so i was and like then- any, any opportunity i could get like if i was having takeaway i'd be getting a, a big fat greasy american burger Something- when
3: i left it was um five guys and fr- five guys yeah. and fries just started when i left america 2012
2: yeah, that was another one that I liked in that yeah, 2012 is when I had my first um five guys burger as well. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've got a good taste there.
0: <laughs> got any questions, Nate?
3: Oh no, I, I you've probably done them all anyway, but uh well done on the uh Gold Coast Marathon, mate. That was um that was a brilliant um and it's an honor to have such a a good Australian marathoner um come on the podcast. So um I will listen. Listen to it uh, when it airs. Um, yeah, yeah, man.
0: Cheers, Thanks mate. heaps for coming on. Like, it's amazing that an athlete of your like caliber just comes on and has a chat to us. It blows me away.
2: Oh, uh, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm. happy to share my time with you guys. Yeah.
3: Well, hopefully, um, what's oh, what uh, did you cover? What's happening with the um, with the timing times for? the Olympics because they've the, Australia have really sort of made it tough, haven't they?
2: Uh so yeah I'll I'll fill you in with what's kind of happened. So at Tokyo they kind of wanted to do the same thing too. So they've introduced new sports at the at the Olympics, uh like skateboarding and a few other sports came in. And so there's kind of limited beds at the Olympics and I guess kind of eats into the um, their budgets a bit. So they kind yeah. of want to cap the athletic fields. And it used to be a case of every country could sh- uh, send three athletes, but now the the field is capped at 80. And uh, the last Olympics, they set the qualifying standard as 211.30 and they didn't think they'd get as many people qualified as uh, they ended up having so this time they just made it super super fast so they've now set the time as 20810 and i think they they kind of want 60% um of the field maybe uh, might be a little bit more to try and qualify through time and then the rest were going to be qualifying through this point system their rankings and uh I think that's kind of to to entice all these races around the world to pay ath- um, world athletics this kind of money towards being a labeled event. So therefore, if they're a labeled event, then there's certain points that get added to times. So uh, when I did Gold Coast Marathon, oh we'll just say this time, I ran that 20839. But the points that I got out of that race was equivalent to puts me in line with some some of the 204 type of guys. So so that helps my ranking. But the the issue is it's like a a two race thing. So they they average out two races. So currently uh, I got that good the good points from uh Gold Coast Marathon. And my last marathon was um the Commonwealth game. So uh, it was a little bit slower than your, your normal type of fast races that you can do. So it was a championship type race. Mm. Um, yeah. So my time and points weren't mm. too great at the moment through that. So they averaged my Gold Coast and um, Commonwealth Games times or points. And then that gives you a ranking. And I think I'm currently ranked about 49th from a, if you are to do three per country basis, I'm ranked 49th. So I'm sitting in that 80 bracket, but there's all these other things like uh, I haven't been told this, maybe some some of the people which are doing world champs know, but um, there's talks that Athletics Australia might have some type of policy where if you finish top eight, top 10, maybe even possibly top 20 at the world championships, that could be regarded as an automatic qualifier. So that might take a spot away from me and make it tougher for me to qualify. And I think they can do that through. And yeah. I think there's another rule that they've got, which um, any athlete which runs a sub two eleven thirty through the qualification period, which we have uh, another two. So Andy Buchanan and Pat Tienan, who's doing the World Champs, uh, they've both ran sub two eleven thirty, so they can fall under this criteria. So. Um, athletics australia can select those two guys with my positioning so if i finish top 80 and get if i'm finishing top 80 ranked they can um, offer my position to one of those guys so i had to look out for these criterias and i feel like for me to kind of eliminate these dodgy decisions and discretion, I kind of got to go chase that sub 20810 and try and make certain that I kind of qualify and make sure they can't do anything dodgy. So that's, that's the aim for me. And yeah, I got to try and get there the 20810, which I think would put me um, top, top three fastest times by an Australian ever to try and like that's yeah. Top three fastest times by an Australian ever which will just get you qualified for the Olympics. So, it's tough times at the moment. It's hard. Yeah. Well, good luck,
3: mate, and hope for. We we'll keep our fingers crossed for you, and hope that um, wherever means you, you can get there. It'd be uh, good to see you there. Yeah. Ah. Uh, cheers. Awesome.
0: Well, let's wrap it up there. Thanks again, Liam.
3: Absolute legend,
2: you. mate. No problems, guys. Yeah. Cheers for having me.
3: Okay. Safe training. We'll see you soon.
2: Yeah, we'll do. Righto, if you
0: got this far, thank you very much for listening. What a champion Liam was. Uh, I could have sat there and listened to him tell us stories all night. Fascinating guy. Um, Can I ask you all a favour? Could you give us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify or whatever podcast app you listen to the show on uh, from what I'm Reading online, it really helps with your exposure and um, it'll help us get the show out there to more listeners. So if you could do that, man, we would be greatly appreciate that. And um, also give us a follow on the uh, Instagram page. Just search Eat, Sleep, Run, Repeat. And we will see you uh, soon for the Jetty to Jetty special show in the next couple of days. Cheers.
1: extension of tolerance dimension of flowers in my mind stop rewind now what the fuck did you find ain't nothing in here but why subliminal no messages can't breathe close your eyes leave all your troubles behind yes it's fine with me in my imagination, in my imagination, well sometimes our minds play these tricks on us, sometimes we find that our minds, they climb higher than they should climb, well, our imagination contemplating, hesitating on in my mind We should find In time Our minds They will shine With the wrongest shine You can Put the time on mind, Show be these Purple elephants A twisted intelligence Extension on tolerance Dimensional violence In my mind Stop, rewind Now what the fuck did you find? Ain't nothing in here but why? Supplemental, I can't breathe I can't breathe Close your eyes Leave all your troubles behind Yes, it's fine Come figure with me In my imagination In my imagination Close your eyes Leave all your troubles behind Yes, it's fine I'm contemplating, hesitating on exploiting my mind, 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 mind.